When we talk about going to college in this country, especially those who write about college in the media and those who make a living by helping people get into college by talking about essays and test scores and so on and so forth, well, we're generally not talking about community college. This despite the fact that almost 6 million people in the country enroll at two-year colleges each year and that they are engines of social mobility that are affordable, accessible, and plentiful in our society. They can be a much easier way to get into and graduate from a four-year institution for many students who aren't ready right at high school graduation. But as we'll learn today, unsurprisingly, there are lots of challenges that don't reasonably belong in the way of these students that don't require broad systemic change over decades to impact positively. Well, unlike the national media and most people I've met in higher education, my guest today will simply never be accused of not talking enough about community college. So let's have at it and talk with Bart Gratian, the Associate Dean for Progress and Completion at the second largest such institution in New York City, LaGuardia Community College. Welcome to The Crush. Welcome to The Crush. I'm Davin Sweeney, a college counselor at CollegeWise who talks to all kinds of folks in the admissions and higher ed landscape, like my guest Bart, who occupies a very important niche in this landscape that serves a majority of students that tend to get left behind, not just in conversation, but in reality when it comes to a higher education. So a quick reminder to everybody, per usual, to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, but also to rate the show on iTunes there, please. I'm going to keep saying it. The numbers ain't moving any people, and my, my parents can only rate the show so many times, so uh, so let's get cracking. Okay, so Bart is sort of our profession's conscience on the matter of transfer admissions and community colleges. He is outspoken, as you'll hear, and as he ought to be, and helps us all remember that this is a critically important and continuously overlooked facet of what we do in providing access to college for as many people in this country that want it. Listeners stand to learn a lot here, so in addition to talking about the function of community colleges in general, Bart and I spend some time on transferring, which in his case means moving from a two-year to a four-year college, as opposed to moving from one four-year place to another. And keep in mind as we discuss this, that the research shows that this is the goal for 81% of students who enter community college, but only 33% of these students actually do transfer uh, to a four-year college within six years of starting at a community college. So what role do the places that accept or could accept transfer students have to play in that bummer of a stat? Well, we talk about it here. We also talk about the faculty who are at community colleges, what kinds of students attend, what systems are in place to help them achieve success there, our national expectations of the community college system, and the difficulties placed in front of transfer students to graduate in four years in spite of them following all the rules. I spoke to Bart from his office at LaGuardia Community College in Long Island City, Queens, New York. Do we need a mic check? Yeah, sure. Go ahead and just start talking and, you know, say... (laughs) I can't... Would you say sibilance? Sibilance. Wasn't that the the, uh, Wayne's World mic check? Oh. (laughs) My pop culture references still involve Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey ones, I think, are better than the... uh, Mike Myers once anyways, because those are overdone at this point. Yeah. So Bart Gracken. Gratian. Gratian. I went for the hard CH. It was completely wrong. It's you and right. I even know that each is, other and everything. That is, what kind right. of a name is Gratian? And Gr- I don't mean that in like in a you know <laughs> Gratian is an Anglicized Croatian name. Oh. So my uh my father's side is all Croatian. It was something along the lines of and they got off the boat, and the guy looked at him. He's like, "No, <laughs> that's not what it's." No, we're be. done with that. You're now Gratian. Okay. We're going to spell it with a hard ch just to confuse people for all time and eternity. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. But you'll be <laughs> you give the, the Starbucks barista your first name just to make it easy on them. Yeah, yeah. I say Bart, and yeah. they usually put Brett or you know <laughs> uh-huh. Bob or yeah. I Susan. get about nine seven separate things too. Yeah, I can't imagine anybody's ever gotten Davin right. Mm-mm. No, not really. My mom and dad did. It's you know, and then. A couple of teachers here and there, and then eventually, yeah, I've, I've had to correct my wife several right. times still. And, yeah. Well, Bart was a singularly unpleasant name to grow up with until Bart Simpson. Unfortunately, that was in high school, so it was not as helpful as it probably could have been uh-huh. in terms of popularity if it had come around when I was in, like, third grade. How but. was your impersonation at that point? Well, I was a fairly obnoxious kid, so I was pretty dead hard, on. Right? Yeah. I didn't have the voice or anything like that, but uh, the side effects and uh-huh. the... Uh, father wanting to strangle him at most times was pretty accurate. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what do you do here? 
I am the Associate Dean for Progress and Completion. So uh, I oversee advisement services, the registrar's office, our, our special programs, ASAP, College Discovery, and CUNY EDGE, uh, transfer services, transfer in and transfer out. That's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, if I I'd sit here just looking in your uh, your office here and the giant whiteboard, I see what appears to be evidence of your actually <laughs> working. Yes. Right. For your money. <laughs> and it seems as if you're seeking to answer the question, how do we increase the number of students taking 30 credits in year one from 11 percent to 32 percent? Well, the interesting thing on the board right now is there are actually two very different things going on. The uh, edge where that question is, is kind of a larger project that the college is now embarking on that I get to uh, oversee and kind of steer through with the you know, uh, kind of reporting to the executive council on that one. The big thing in the middle there that the, the chart of stuff is actually a grant proposal I was working on this morning with um, our director of ASAP. So we're putting together a grant proposal and Similar kinds of things. Most of what I do focuses on how do we get more students to register for more stuff and graduate and retain and, and move on to the next thing more successfully. That's, what kind of a place is, is LaGuardia Community College? LaGuardia Community College is the, uh, well, let's say it's the single most diverse place I've ever been in my entire life. And you've um, worked in a lot of different um, realms of higher education. I've been at all private four-year colleges prior to this. Um, I was on the kind of enrollment management side of things. Um, so I started in admissions at a, at a small four-year school. I own a college in New Rochelle, mm -hmm. um, did that for a few years and, and, you know, I kind of walked in my first day and they're like, great new guy, you get transfers because nobody wanted to deal with transfers. It's weird and complicated and messy and not as much fun to recruit as freshmen, apparently to some people. Um, I loved it immediately. So I really kind of got into the transfer thing and then I moved from there to NYU where I was the director of the community college transfer opportunity program. That was really, really started to learn what all this stuff was. You're definitely right about transfers being kind of this, um, I don't know, burden or necessity that admissions offices that have a transfer policy sort of need to, you know, yeah. deal with rather than, you know, be excited about what excited you about it. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, I think I was excited by the individuality of it. I was excited by the fact that there, there's no, if you've met a transfer student, you've met a transfer student. You know, if you can't quantify them in the same way that you can quantify freshmen in a lot of cases, um, it's probably not fair to freshmen. I haven't done as much on that end, but transfer involves so much more nuance when it comes to things like their where they started, why they started there, why are they leaving, the things that go into that, the transfer credit process, um, who transfer students are. If you're talking, because you know the, the problem with the phrase transfer student is it, it's it's already not correct. Um, and this is part of the problem we have with transfer data nationally and things like that is schools don't disaggregate community college transfer students from four-year transfer students. There's a world of difference between a student who started at a four-year college and had all of the support that they needed and everything else that they got, their you know, 57th generation college student, and they went to the school and they realized that they didn't like it for whatever reason. They didn't have a good social experience. They didn't realize that they didn't have the program that they wanted, whatever it was. They didn't need access. They had access. They're exchanging access, but they're just moving into another thing. Community college students are, move, are starting at a school with the intent of transfer. They're, you know, so it's a very different uh, approach. They're going into a school with an intent and an expectation that I, can, I do this, I complete this, and it will move with me to the next place. And that's where things get really kind of weird and sticky uh, with how a lot of schools process transfer. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can tell how, you can tell how low a school's retention rate is of their native freshman population by how much staff they have a, a dedicated to their transfer process in the admission office. How so? Because if you have a full-time transfer person, it's because your freshman retention isn't as high as you'd need it to be. Because for four-year schools, transfer rates tend, uh, transfer uh, admission tends to be about filling retention gaps. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason Harvard enrolls 12 transfer students a year is because Harvard graduates 98% of its freshman class. They don't, they don't need them. They don't have any retention gap to fill. So they just don't create the space and they don't have the space naturally. So as far as you're concerned, the, the, the reason that most schools take transfer students to begin with is, is as a just sort of an enrollment management function as opposed to 
let's say a service they're providing in oh, helping students along their educational trajectory? Absolutely. Public schools have generally have a mandate of some kind. You have to take X number of transfers. It's also, though, a practical reality. You know, 65% of the enrollment at CUNY four-year colleges are transfer students, whether that's from other four years and that's a mix of four other four years and two years schools. Uh, but of their total enrollment is majority transfer student. Um, that's just a function of necessity, not just a mandate. Uh, but at private schools, it's very much, a, you know, the, the correlation between necessity and transfer is direct. Um, you have a high retention rate. You don't take a lot of transfers, if any. Um, you have a lower retention rate and you need butts in seats because your budget is based on your freshman enrollment numbers and retention of those numbers. So every time you lose a freshman, you got to fill that seat to maintain your budget that you've projected over four years based on that class enrollment. Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, you know, you, you've, you've, there are some schools that, that do not accept any transfer students, right? I mean, it's partly because why should they if they can fill their class with, with freshman students? The problem with it is it's not equitably distributed. The problem is that who that impacts is not evenly across the board, is not evenly distributed across the board. So a student who is coming from an incredibly low-income area, low-income family, is at a school that doesn't have a ton of resources, is less likely to meet the traditional holistic review checkboxes for a four-year school's admissions process they tend to get routed into community colleges. Well, if you are talking about, if the then access for transfer students to those four-year schools is no is even more restricted because now it's the same holistic review checkboxes plus we don't have room for transfer students, you've restricted access based in large part on nothing more than where a student started from. And that has really severe and direct implications for students of low income, but also students of color in specific areas. So, you know, there are real implications across the board nationally for this. I think you gave uh, a presentation that was rather provocatively titled uh, <laughs> along these lines uh, at uh, one or two conferences. What was the title of that presentation? Transfer is racist. That was, yeah. I'm, I'm a very mm -hmm. subtle guy. When right. It yeah. <laughs> so this yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Because the, the tricky part of transfer is that it is, it's far enough removed that you no longer think of the people. The problem with transfer is that a lot of the challenges in transfer are process-based. That's I don't have room for transfers because we met, we meet our budget line, so I don't have to think about if I don't open the door for transfers, I'm not creating access for this particular population, and here's the, next, here's the spillover outcome of that. Um, when you are saying... You know, the determination of transfer credit is in the hands of a faculty member or a chair, and that changes based on, you know, time and, you know, who's in that seat at that particular time. And maybe this one doesn't like the community college that's next door, and this one did. So that they're going to change their mind on how credits transfer and how they apply. It becomes a problem. The fact is, with transfer credits, all of the motivations for a four-year school are not to use transfer credit if you get right down to it. And that's systemically problematic. There's no financial incentive because every transfer credit that they accept is money lost to them in terms of tuition dollars. There's no um, academic parity incentive. My class is better than your class because it's my class. I taught it, I teach it, I created it, I designed it. I mean, I've literally had an argument with a four-year institution where it was the same course with the same title taught by the same adjunct faculty member using the same textbook and the same syllabus. And when I laid all that out and said, why are you, why are you not accepting this class as the same class at your institution? They said, because of who was in the class at the other school. So which my reaction at this point is, do you, you know, like, what do, you, what do you mean by who's in that class? Are they too poor or are they too brown? Like, what are we talking about at this point? Because you can't justify that on an academic level. Now we're getting down to I don't like, and it's never, it never comes down at that point to data. If somebody tells me, listen, when we take students that have, let's make this up, pre-calculus, and they fail our calculus rate at X rate, so that's why we don't take your pre-calculus class anymore. I'm fine with that. Because then I can turn around and give that to a department and say, this is the feedback we're getting. Can we make any adjustments? Right? But I never get that feedback. That's not a thing that's ever happened. It's just... 
we don't want to take. We don't think they're going to do as well. Base that on something. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you have these kind of policies in place that are, it's easy, you know, it, they get so granular and they're, they're spread out over a lot of room inside of an institution, it's easy to lose sight of what's the roll down effect of that. Like, oh, that means that when we do take transfer students, they're going to have an extra year of time because we took, they had 60 credits and we took all 60 credits. We told them it would be admissions process. Absolutely. All of your credits are transferable. But then 30 of them became elective credit. And there's only room for 15 credits of electives in that particular degree. So they just lost an entire semester. Really. You know, they're going to graduate with 15 credits more than they needed. That's where we start to get into problems because so, 15 uh, credits is a low example in some cases. Right, and so if students are, are, are banking on you know, taking a certain amount of time in order to get out of college and then the, the say transfer credit policy is maybe a little bit more restrictive and, and thereby you know, tacking some time onto the, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of time that it's going to take for them to finally get out, uh, it becomes more expensive for them to transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine there are a lot of ways in which it's more expensive to be a transfer student. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because if they if a student does an associate degree, they save a lot of money on the front end, right? We're far cheaper. It costs forty eight hundred dollars a year in tuition for full time at LaGuardia for an in city student. That's I mean, that's less than a course at a lot of the four year places I've worked. Great, um, but if they then don't get to use those credits, that savings doesn't translate. A lot of schools will build prerequisites in to negate the credits. So even though they're transferable, they're saying, well, you also then have to do X, Y, and Z to get to the next thing. And then, you know, the other factor that makes it more expensive is transfer credit awards or uh, transfer credit awards, but transfer financial aid awards, scholarship awards, those kinds of things are typically fractional of what are being offered to freshmen right. at the same place. Because again, it's a, it's a, we need to get X number of butts to fill X number of seats. And then if they stay, great. And if they don't stay, I'll get more because there's no accountability to transfers either. Well, and if we talk about uh, private schools, you know, the kinds that are Mm -hmm. probably more liable to make it more difficult for students to transfer from a community college to their school, Mm -hmm. um, their reputation is staked largely on the strength of an incoming freshman class, right? And the, it's all that gets counted. Right. So yeah. that they're you know, reporting to the U.S. News and all that stuff that makes presidents and trustees mm-hmm. do backflips uh, doesn't take into account transfer students. And so the mm-hmm. extent to which they might be interested in using uh, institutional resources or money to help meet those kinds of institutional priorities that are going to meet that, th- those multitude of goals for them. And as far as rankings and prestige is concerned, transfers are, no- are nowhere to be found. So why give them really any money other than what you absolutely have to in order for them to be able to attend. Absolutely. No, it's, it's bare minimum to get them in the door. Because um, like I said, there's no accountability to transfers. The, the, you know, the trick of, the, of transfer data is there is none. It's entirely voluntary. It's usually, like I said, it's never disaggregated. So even when a school puts it in like the common data set, uh, you know, and those kinds of things, it's just lump transfer. So there's no accountability to who are you bringing in uh, and what are the and there's never any results. That's always about admissions. There's never about graduation. How many credits are you using towards degree? What kind of financial aid are you giving to transfers? Nobody has to report any of that stuff. Um, graduation rates, retention rates, all that stuff that gets reported is all first time, full time. What do you know about the de- you know the de- degree of uh, or, or outcomes for students that transfer from community colleges to four year and, and and how they graduate relative to students that maybe entered that institution as freshmen? Well, it, it, the the studies are when a student transfers. You know, my, my, one of my favorite misnomers is the transfer shock, right? Well, there's no real transfer shock. The difference. You mean in, that like when they arrive, they yeah. didn't go through the very special, amazing, you know, week long freshman orientation that everybody well, did, and therefore they're like. Well, yeah, you know, no, transfers almost never get that. So that's one thing. Um, but no, transfer shock specifically refers to I've got a 3.5 GPA in my community college. And I transfer to the four-year school and I get a 2.9 GPA in that first semester. I oh, see. my God, there was a plummet in GPA. <clears throat> yes and no. First of all, it's an entirely new institution. There's typically very little support in place. So there's a lot of challenges associated with going to a new school and kind of stepping in midstream because where you have stuff to support a freshman, here is where the bursar is. Here is where the bookstore is. Here is how the cafeteria works. They don't do that as much for, for, for transfers. So there's that, those elements. But the thing that people forget in those studies a lot is that you're not moving 
it's not uh, apples and oranges. It's not apples to apples. You're moving from general education coursework to major coursework. So you're doubling down on all that new school stuff into major coursework. The fact is native students' GPAs drop a little bit when they move from general education stuff into major coursework too. Mm-hmm. Um, it tends to even out and self-correct once they stabilize in that stuff. But And the fact is transfer students at individual institutions complete at a higher rate than native freshmen do once they're in and moving forward. Um, every study I've ever seen on transfer completion says that. So it's interesting. I didn't, I guess, realize that I mean, and, and is it your understanding that the community college has always existed as, you know, a, a means of entry into and then ultimately out of a four-year degree? Well, I mean, the, uh, they were originally called junior colleges because you literally, you, you went to there, went, you know, went to a junior college, and then you did the first two years before transferring to a four-year college. Um, Times changed in the 60s and 70s. They became community colleges. We have a lot of programs now that are not designed to transfer. A lot of those students do want to transfer and do end up transferring. Um, But, you know, like radiology tech and vet tech, those are programs to move into the career immediately. So we added a lot of those kinds of things. And schools are very responsive to their their locale. We have a lot of health science things and those kinds of things in uh, in our AAS programs. You know, I have a friend up at Finger Lakes Community College who was telling me they have a, and I'm never, I'd never say this right, but it's like vintnerology, mm-hmm. you know, the study of winemaking. Yeah. They have an AAS degree on how to make wine because in the Finger Lakes region, it's a huge winemaking region, so they graduate from that and they go work in the in the vineyards. Yeah, so community colleges do a lot of that stuff, and that's far more than a junior college did. Junior well, and they're liable to be a lot more. Pay. I mean, and that the offerings are are, are going to be a lot more localized because it's almost they're all commuter students, right? They're all coming from from the area that they serve. For the most part, I mean, we actually have, what do we have? About 600, 700 international students here. Um, we have a, an enormous English language program. So we have a lot of students who come in to do English language programs, stay as international students, those kinds of things. Um, you know, CUNY and New York City draw a lot of that. Um, so we, you know, we have a lot of those students as well. But yeah, for the most part, our students are, you know, vast majority, you know, here. So you mentioned that there are a couple of different approaches that students can take to community college, probably a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about high school students that want to, you know, take calculus before college or whatever. It's not offered in high school. They didn't get on track to to take that class or something. Mm -hmm. They're boning up on something, you know. And then you've got, you know, the students that are doing something that's a little bit more vocational. And then you've got Mm -hmm. students that are doing something in preparation for, you know, a four-year experience and stuff what are some others some other uh, reasons that people go students students that start here we have students that start here because of finances we're very affordable for a lot of people um so that you know that's just you know so we've got students who are excellent students who could have gone a lot of places they just couldn't afford to do so um we have students who start here because because it's close because they have family obligations or work obligations those kinds of things we have students who start here because you know, the example I always give is um, Michael Jordan got cut from his basketball team in high school. Dennis Rodman and, uh, and David Robinson both grew a foot in college. If we had stopped the recruiting process for those guys as juniors in high school, like we do with college admissions, essentially, they wouldn't be in the NBA Hall of Fame. You know, that's a silly process. A lot, Some people just bloom later. Or, um, you know, probably wouldn't be DIY North Korean diplomats. Totally that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Not everything ends well. <laughs> but uh, you just never know. You never know. Yeah. No, but we had three students last year who won the Jack Kent Cook transfer scholarship. Um, and none of them, when they got here, thought that they could do college. You know, one of them had dropped out of high school because he enjoyed school and got bullied mercilessly for it. So he just gave up and then found himself here later. When one guy emerged from the Marine Corps, and, you know, had gone straight from high school. Again, didn't think college was a thing he could ever do. Came out of the military, came here and discovered, oh, no, I can really I can really do this stuff. Um, so, you know, they, they, they came from not having any confidence in their ability to do that. They discovered a lot of that here. They really blossomed here. And now they're at, you know, one of them is one of the 17 or 20 transfers that got into Stanford this year. Um, you know, so stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, students come here for a lot of reasons, um, find success in a lot of variations here uh, for, and, and move in a lot of different directions. You know, we're, we're a, 
it's a lot less linear at a community college than at a lot of places. It's not. And the life beyond, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, You're on the topic of the degree of vocational education that's available at a community college. uh, Your president Mm -hmm. the other day uh, of these United States, uh, I believe, made a (laughs) made a comment. Oh, that my president. I thought you were talking about Dr. Mello. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) The the big one. Right. The really important one. Yes. With the big hands. Yes. Yeah. He uh, seemed to draw the ire of people in the sort of higher education landscape and the community college landscape. And he seemed to kind of conflate a couple of ideas about community college versus vocational school. What did he do? You remember what he said? I'm baffled by the idea that transfer is not vocational. I mean, what is the thing we hammer colleges and students with all the time? You know, go to college, get a job, go to college, get a job. It's all about career advancement stuff for the four-year schools. But if a student comes here to do our liberal arts associate degree in preparation for transferring to a four-year college to finish that out, that's still vocational. So do you think he talked about, you know, community college and vocational schools and there are people saying that those are two different things and don't talk about them the same way that that was, that was a school that that does nothing but vocational is a vocational school. A community college has vocational programs, uh, but it has programs that are academic, but I I don't see either as um, good or bad. There are people who I have family members who went to school for vocational things and went and did things like they, they didn't want to go to college long term and they didn't want to get 37 degrees like I decided at one point I was just going to try to plow <laughs> I through. can see them all over there they're <laughs> framed <laughs> yeah no I finally had a place to put them when you walked um, out I, I licked the signature <laughs> to make sure they were real yeah, yeah it's on there yeah no, no it's like they're, they're legit believe me <laughs> didn't see my kid for several years on one of them uh-huh. um, but uh, all of this is vocational and none of it is vocational, right? It's about training. It's about education. It's about building a better citizenry. It's about moving everything, moving people forward in terms of the economy. Um, if a student is choosing that their vocation requires several layers of education and they're starting a community college, that's a good thing. Um, I don't, I don't understand. To me, the minimization of community colleges should be called vocational schools shows a clear not, lack of understanding of what we do and how we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not any different than I think it was I think it was Marco Rubio on the campaign trail who said we need more uh, more welders and fewer philosophers. When in fact, philosophy majors, once they have graduated, and they're not walking around in togas philosophizing, they go out and get jobs and that a liberal arts degree can feed into from all kinds of stuff. Not much of a market for that. Not much of the, you know, the toga market has shrunk over the years, (laughs) at least in Manhattan. But Mm -hmm. um, the fact is they earn more on average than welders. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with welders, but to say that, you know, to point at a particular field and say that's not valuable is, it shows a lack of understanding of how this works. Well, and it's interesting. This is... I mean, and the conversation we've already been having is is really clearly sort of delineated along race and class lines, you know, and that and that there's a, a really massive mistrust of higher education in general um, that is in vogue now. You mm-hmm. know that that uh, you've got your uh, you know Poindexter's in the ivory tower that that are you know not down there in the trenches with the real world with the construction workers and the welders and the nurses and those guys you know and that's that's something else but mm-hmm. what we're talking about here with you know community college and vocational school and that kind of thing like that's that's real people stuff uh, and so it seems that that it's interesting it's almost like maybe you and Marco Rubio and Donald Trump are, are, are thinking along the same lines about some of this oh, stuff. Oh, dear God, don't even joke. <laughs> no. no. I mean, not, the, unfortunately, I mean, I think that, you know, you, you wouldn't be vaunting the values of a two-year degree or experience to the detriment of a four-year one, which I think is what they do. Well, I think, I think when they talk about that real-world stuff, they're talking about other-world stuff. When they talk about real-people stuff, they're talking about other-people stuff. They're not going to go home and advocate that their own children become welders. They're just not going to do that. So to me, it's a disingenuous argument. If your argument fractures along the lines of race and class, it no longer holds any water for me. Um, if we are, if the argument is not everybody needs to go do four years of higher education, they can do a training program and they can do that thing, and that's based on choice and ability, and not based on where you're starting and on, you know, to, to the 
the soft bigotry of low expectations to, to steal a quote from somewhere. I can't remember where, but, um, you know, if it's pointed at other people, then it's problematic. And that's where we're at with a lot of this stuff. Because the fact is when, it, you know, it, the minimization of community colleges and what they do, um, whether it's by politicians or whether it's by institutions and their policy and how they approach those institutions, you know, those other institutions, um, has real impact. You know, students of color are far more represented at community colleges than any other sector of higher education, except on a percentage basis, the for-profit sector. Um, students that have uh, of low SES, far more represented at community colleges than anywhere else. And now to, to then say that those students should focus on the vocational track by virtue of where they're at is a problem because right. they should have full access to all of that other stuff. The way we have this set up in this country, if you come from a poor family and area and end up in a low resource high school system or K-12 system, you're more likely to be routed to a community college because, like I said before, you, don't, you just don't check those holistic check boxes well. That does not mean that you should be limited to that because that has nothing at that point to do with your ability, your interests, or anything else. That's literally just based on where you grew up and what school you got to go to. Yeah, and this is a, a complicated thing that I've just sort of wrestled with between my own two ears here is that you've got um, – you know, I, I know it was really it, it it remains controversial in high schools to, you know, sort of track kids, right? You've got kids that are on like the honors track, and then you've got kids that are on the like you know whatever track below mm -hmm. that, right? Maybe there's a couple, and you know there was research that demonstrated that you know there were in 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 schools that were not uh, completely segregated as a lot of the ones are in New York that you know students of means and who were not of color were finding themselves in those honors track courses and and the others were not right mm -hmm. and so there, there there was the you know sort of soft bigotry expectations sort of set up there but to the extent that we've got high schools now that are really bent on and to you know wonderfully so creating a college going culture in their high school like mm -hmm. i hear this a lot right that we want to make sure that students understand that they're not here to just get a high school diploma but they're there to do that on their way to college mm -hmm. and they don't talk about community college as a college going culture they're talking about four-year college right mm -hmm. so how do you do that i mean how do you on the one hand create a college going culture but on the other hand be fair to the reality that maybe an associate's degree or a two-year experience is exactly the right place where a student needs to go. Yeah, I think, I think it's a huge problem. You know, there was, a, there was something on the NACAC listserv the other day about how do community college classes taken by high school students get weighed in the admissions process? Are they viewed as the same or less than AP classes. So the NACAC listserv is the National Association for College Admissions Counseling sort of message board mm -hmm. where anyone and everybody who, I, arguably, I think you have to be a member of this professional association to be on the listserv or whatever, Probably. maybe. But yeah, people fire off all kinds of questions and missives and stuff there. And Absolutely. Here's one of them, yeah. And not trying to, to add anybody in terms of the question, but my response to it was, let's, let's be very clear, community college is college. This is not a halfway house in between high school and college. There's nothing, you know, we have basic skills in developmental and remediation courses. Absolutely, because not every student who comes in, we're an open access institution. Not everybody who comes in is ready for college level coursework. But if they take a college level course here, it is a college level course. You take calculus here, it's calculus at college, period. Not maybe college, not but like college. You, I mean, but this is, you know, and then you get the, as you mentioned earlier, you get the pushback from the professor that might teach exactly the same curriculum and says it's not the same. You know, how do you, how do you quantify that? I guess how do you know what what do you what, what can you say to uh, shore up the fact that you know if there are doubters out there that this is in fact exactly the same thing? Well, I, I, I mean, the, the, my response to that is prove it. You quantify it. You're telling me you're telling me it's not different. Right. I'm telling you it's the same textbook and it's the I same can't, material by the way, and it's I've the same thing. I've never even but, seen you know. a calculus textbook. <laughs> yeah. but I, yeah, I'm usually the worst one to make a math <laughs> argument. Um, I, I, I may have you beat. <laughs> You've got equations on this board. I mean, it, admittedly, it's sub, uh, addition. There was a lot of erasing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, it's in, I mean, because this is also to your point about the, uh, if we if we stopped, you know, with we 
inoffensive Dennis Rodman, uh, as, as he was just like a, a, a little nerd, you know, in high school. Nobody liked him. You know, this, if we stopped there, when would we get to the worm, right? right. So <clears throat> how do we do that here with this question, right? To say, stop here. You're supposed to be a welder. Right. Like this is sort of what the argument is that I hear some of these conservative politicians talking about, like, because we need those people. So you're going to be the one. Right. Right. Or do we make welding sexy or you know what I mean? Like what people who want to become welders will become welders. And that's absolutely true. You know, the people that work in the trades make a fantastic salary. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a phenomenal career uh, for people who want to do that. Like I, I learned very early on, I did not want to fix things. I am not good at it. I tend to injure myself frequently. I get really <laughs> frustrated. Um, not what I like to do. I mm-hmm. like to read stuff. Yeah. Um, now I had the the privilege. Not instruction manuals on how to fix. Things. Not so much. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> Home ownership has changed some of that. <laughs> the worst. But, uh-huh. um, but uh, you know, I had the privilege of being able to figure out what I wanted to do, and to major in one of those majors that you know, has no inherent value by itself because it doesn't lead to a job directly. It's not training, you know, and part of the, you know, when I do presentations for students, I always make them guess, like I'll do the whole thing. And I was like, you know, what was my major? And nobody ever gets it. In fact, I had one student, I met with a student the other day who recalled being the first person to ever get it right. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I, I don't, is it going to ruin future presentations if you, if you betray that fact mis- right now? Double history, uh, double major in history and English. Okay. Um, and look know, at you now. I have a picture of Shakespeare at home. That's as close as I get to either one in terms of content, but mm-hmm. I got skills at it. But I, like I said, I had the privilege to say, I like history. I'm going to study history. That eventually turned into a double major. But it was one of those, um, if I had been told my whole life, you need to go get a good paying job. If you need to go to school to get that, you know, you need to go into a nursing training program to become a nurse. You know, whether or not you like math or science, whether or not you faint at the sight of blood, this is a good paying job. Go focus on this and learn how to do that. Um, we have a lot of students that get steered very early on in a lot of directions by a lot of people and a lot of well-meaning people. You know, to your point about the college going culture and those kinds of things, I think that's great. I think it's critical. And I think it needs the focus of for those students, who, you know, encouraging those students who have the ability and who want to do that but not feel it making the student who doesn't want to do that feel like they're doing the wrong thing by not doing that. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that there's a there's a, a pendulum backlash to that a little bit sometimes. But isn't I mean doesn't isn't the system set up to suggest that? You know that that community college is, is aspirational in nature. It's not a terminus, right? I mean right. that so if you if you stop there, you fell short is the potential perception that you know somebody well, who because it's, it's the perception goes that way might feel people who have been to college it's the perception of people who have that advantage if you're a first generation student you're the first person in your family has ever gone to college i mean the, the joy that we see at graduation every year from our students from the family members that are there the turnout is enormous you know we graduate at the barclay center now um the sheer joy of completion that that says that it's not just this yeah it says it's not a you know that even if you stop here you have done our family proud and i'd argue that probably a lot of the or I'd, I'd guess that a lot of people that are graduating on that day have beaten the odds in any number of ways not just in terms of you know you were never supposed to get a, an associate's degree probably never supposed to get a high school education and all kinds of stuff like that right statistically speaking most of our students if you just put them on paper shouldn't graduate from anything Right. I mean, they, they have beaten odds left and right and all over the place. A lot of our students. How many students do you have here? About 20,000. How does it work? I mean, how do you how, what, what do you have in place here to make it work for those students who are coming from backgrounds that uh, are not uh, able to provide them with any kind of guidance for any sort of higher education two or four year? What's here that that that, that gets them to the Barclays Center on that day? Well, we have a, a staggering array of support services here, um, you know all the stuff that you would think of in terms of writing centers climbing and tutoring walls and not so many on the climbing walls we do a gym <laughs> pool okay <laughs> lazy but, rivers no, yeah yeah <laughs> only when it rains <laughs> but uh you know so we've got we've got all the the support services most people would think of when they you know in terms of those kinds of things um but we also have you know cuny has the asap program which is an enormous program uh, to help students 
you know, a lot of the stuff that prevents students from being full-time, from moving through successfully are, are things that we, you know, most of us would consider micro. You know, one of the biggest draws of the ASAP program is they give their students Metro cards. What's the ASAP program, by the way? Uh, it's the Accelerated Studies and Associate Programs. Uh, so it, it's a program CUNY started to, uh, you know, help students move through faster. And so part of it, you know, part of the requirements are you have to be full-time and those, like, you know, so you can't be part-time, but they also help offset with some tuition waivers mm-hmm. and some book money help. And like I said, the biggest one is the Metro card. Mm-hmm. Which seems like such a small thing. If you're, you know, you're in the city, you probably have a metro card. This is your subway card to get you around town. For those that are not, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so by providing that to students, we've removed not just uh, a reason to not travel, but a burden to pay for because mm-hmm. they're not cheap. It's like 121 bucks a month or something like that for yeah. a metro card. Um, I don't know where that money goes, but. <laughs> Subway maintenance from mm-hmm. Midtown Manhattan. Um, that's a different topic. <laughs> you know, so it, we have those kinds of programs. College Discovery. We have the CUNY Edge program that supports um, students who are on public assistance and, you know, gives them additional supports and those kinds of things. Single Stop that helps students with uh, that need legal services, help finding additional funding beyond their financial aid, a food pantry, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if you... Uh, Pretty sure you follow Sarah Goldrick Rab's work and things like that. And, you know, students who have food and shelter insecurity, not uncommon. Um, you know, the legal services have become increasingly important because, like many community colleges, we have a fairly significant undocumented student population um, that, you know, justifiably concerned at the moment. So these are all mm-hmm. things that, you know, support services we have in place. And the fact is we're constantly... You know, you so noted the question on my board as part of you know, my, my big project at the moment. But how do you get we, credits up? Yeah. yeah. How do we get credits up? How do we help students move to that process better? We've been in a two year advising structure overhaul, um, you know, we're, and, you know, from research to pilot and that kind of stuff. And we're rolling pieces out. We're, we're adding new technology all the time so that we can help advisors and students and, and faculty connect more meaningfully to make sure that students understand what's happening. Um, so, you know, we're in a constant state of revision and progress, too, because the challenges that our students face are constantly changing. Who are the faculty? Who teaches here? Oh, we have, I mean, the, I, I don't know the numbers on it. I think we have somewhere around 400 full-time faculty, um, plus, a, you know, a boatload of adjunct faculty like everybody else. Um, most, uh, almost all of our full-time faculty, to my knowledge, have terminal degrees in their field. They, uh, CUNY expects research of faculty, even if they're at community colleges, and they teach a 27-credit-a-year load as opposed to a lot of four-year institutions um, and private schools where you know, a faculty member might get a, a, you know, a one-in-one load mm-hmm. in addition to their research mm-hmm. or you know, one-in-two kind of thing. Maybe a semester or two off to yeah. focus on their research and no teaching. Absolutely. So yeah. no, our, our, our faculty teach. They teach a lot. They teach well. Um, they're vested in that, and in their in the students. It's a, you know it's a it's as active a, a faculty population as I've ever gotten to work with, which is saying something because I've worked with some great faculty a lot of places. Where does the money come from to support LaGuardia Community College? Mix of state and um, city funding. How's that changed over time? I don't know the details on it specifically. I know that uh, state and city funding have certainly dropped off. You know, this is a national issue, but state and, and funding uh, for public institutions has continually become a lesser percentage of of the budget. Um, Weren't these same places dollars. supposed to become free? I thought there was this whole Obama, Jill Biden situation, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing with a lot of those kinds of things is they tend to come with more restrictions too. You know, it, you know I've seen some of this stuff in other states now where, the, you know, I think it was West Virginia passed the, you know, that you now have to take a drug test if you're going to get free college and somebody else, you know, different requirements on what, you know, other things. That Which you have to I'm do. sure, you know, everyone who is, you know, not paying a dime at Ivy League institutions would fly through those drug tests. Well, and th- this has always been my, you know, for me, the particular sticking point, like the, the, like the most basic of these kinds of things is satisfactory academic progress. Right. If you don't pass a certain number of credits every year and a certain percentage of attempted credits every year, you're ineligible for federal and state aid. My only problem with that is if you're rich, 
you are free to be dumb in college for as long as you'd like. You are free <laughs> to fail things. You are free to not take things. You are free to wander aimlessly through the woods as long as you can write a check every semester. Nobody's in a hurry to kick you out. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a big hurry to slam the door on these kinds of funding processes for students um, without always looking at kind of the, the, the broad scope implications of that. And I just I always have a problem when a when it's it's cloaked as an academic thing. And it's not. It's not an academic thing. Because if you're saying satisfactory academic progress is something, then that means it's satisfactory for everybody. And you're not, because you're allowing students to write checks and do whatever they need to do. Eventually, they might get on probation or get pushed out the door at some point. But a lot of places parents are actually- Parents might get very, tired of writing checks. Parents might get tired of writing checks. But actually, I think, you know, it depends. Also, I think you hit a tipping point on wealthy there, too, because some places, they'll just, you know, some parents will just keep writing checks until junior gets out. And otherwise, it means they're coming home to live with them. And they, Correct. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, it's just not, it's not equitable. You yeah. Know? And, you know, I think there's a lot of, of great intentions, things. And I think everything starts with something. You know, I think the like the Excelsior Scholarship in New York. Right. So this is the free tuition program, arguably, quote unquote, free uh, to residents of New York State to go to a a four year uh, public institution. Also applies to two. Okay. Yeah. Also applies to two. Um, The complication. Episode, I think, 18. Doug Weber, for those of you that want to get the background on that, <laughs> right. right? Absolutely. And actually, I, I remember listening to his podcast and nodding vigorously. I was on a long car ride listening <laughs> to that particular podcast. Awesome. Um, because there are a lot of, there, there are challenges with that, right? Um, and there, and a lot of them are specific to kind of how they're structured around transfer credit um, and community colleges. So the, the 30 credit a year requirement doesn't account for remediation. Well, if 80% of a community college student population is entering needing at least one course in remediation, that means by definition they're probably not going to finish 30 credits in that first year, even though they've taken a full course load for what they can act, you know, can actually do given because it's an actual class, even though it doesn't bear academic credit. Um, they're not eligible ever because you can't make it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm a transfer student, I transferred to your fine institution. I've completed my 60 credits and I've done my 30 free per year and I've gotten the, the that scholarship while I'm here at LaGuardia. And I go to your institution and you guys are like, you know what, this is great. We're going to take 57 of these 60 credits and use them towards your degree. And you know that's more common than taking the 60, right? Taking some variation underneath that than taking the full 60 and using it towards the degree. I'm also not eligible ever again because I didn't meet the 30 credit requirement so these are currently the terms of, of these the are the current terms of the Excelsior, uh, you know, the Excelsior scholarship, uh, and, the, and the problem with that is again, I have no control over that. I did everything I was supposed to do. I took the classes I was told to take. I completed them in two years. I did all the right stuff, and now you're telling me because your faculty member doesn't like that particular class, so we're not going to use that particular class because I've designed my own special variation on this particular class, that I'm no longer eligible for that scholarship. So. You know, there are, there are other kind of structural things. It don't it, it's limited to tuition and fees, so it doesn't help the poorest students because they're already getting tapped to help them with the tuition. You know, that's the tuition assistance program in New York that helps um, them cover that tuition. But that's not the biggest cost for a lot of students. There's a lot of other costs associated with going to college. It's really expensive to live in the dorms and do the meal plan. So it's really expensive just to live in New York. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, and, you know, if you have to take time off work to go to school, that's less money earned. So that's, other, you know, so... It all balances out. So, you know, if we get to a point where those kinds of awards can go beyond tuition, that would really benefit the poorer students um, and really help change that dynamic. Right now, it's really beneficial to students who could already go to a public institution pretty affordably. So who's doing it right? Who are some um, some some institutions out there, some some four year places that have you know some really sort of progressive thoughts on uh, on on helping transfer students? Uh, get into their institutions and graduate successfully or, you know, partnering with you or partnering with other uh, community colleges? What are you aware of out there where, you know, uh, uh, people are doing work that isn't this uh, uh, this other side that we've been talking about where it's just sort of uh, suppressive of, of efforts to, to promote community college attendance? Well, I, mean, I think that there are some schools that a long time ago realized that transfer was the reality and they decided we're just going to do a really good job of it. Um, UTEP. North Texas, you know, decided a long time ago. There are states that it's are doing El Paso. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. There are states that do a pretty good job of it, but not for the reasons that you would think initially. Um, Florida does really well with transfer stuff. Texas does really well with transfer stuff. Why do they do really well with transfer stuff? Because their legislature said, hey, we're tired of wasting all of our financial aid dollars on students retaking the same courses because you guys won't agree on what an English comp class is. So now we're going with common course numbering. Get yourself together. Um, so when they legislate the academics out of the process, they've gotten the transfer process fixed. Yeah. Now, if academics don't want to lose academic freedom to elected legislatures, that may be something they want to pay attention to. Yeah. California has done a good job with it because California is very progressive in a lot of this kind of stuff in education in particular. I saw a statistic um, that uh, the entire population of students in higher education in America, 9% of them are in California's community college system. So of yeah, all four-year, right. two-year, everything, 9% of everybody in higher education is in California's community college programs. Absolutely. I mean, it fluctuates, but it's anywhere between 38 and 45% or so, over the, from what I've seen over the last decade or you know, decade and a half, of the entire undergraduate population of the country enrolled in community colleges. Mm-hmm. And the only time we get mentioned is either as a punchline in some kind of movie or TV show. Um, or Perhaps even an entire TV show. An entire TV show, Called yes. Community. Yes. That is all about how yeah. crazy and weird and not normal everybody is at huh. uh, a non-four-year institution. They, they did a, uh, a very nice job of boiling down to all of the stereotypes that people tend to think of when they think of community colleges without thinking of all of the actual students. It was funny, though. It did have its moments, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you watched it through a different lens. Certainly started to. Well, I, I mean, the it's... The timing of it was Look, I mean, they, they, you know, the, there are not very many good college movies or TV shows out there, education-based at all, that are, that are not just a, another joke. Yeah, no, media tends to not get higher ed right at all. You know, one of the funnier ones to me was, I think it was called, um, was it Accepted? Oh, yeah, the, right. right. Accept, if I'm remembering it correctly, it was the one where the, he he couldn't get into the college that he wanted to, which was like the, you know, the generic Ivy League imitation college in his town. So he created his own college. Oh, that's right. So it was it, like there was no to, there was no no possibility that there might be other kinds of colleges. Of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just like no, I can't get into this one. I have to make my own. I have to be a I have to fraudulently make my own. Like that kind of thing just always is kind of thirty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Right, yeah. not a good movie. No, <laughs> no. But you know, but it's, it's that kind of thing. You know, so it's either you know we get talked about in in that kind of way, or we get talked about as a vocational school if we get talked about at all. Um, so, I mean, and that, that again, to me is problematic because it's an enormous part of the student population of the country. And more importantly, it's an enormous reflection of different populations in that student population that are very underrepresented at other sectors. Um, but, you know, to go back to, you know, your original question, some of the, the schools outside of kind of the big state initiative stuff, you know, I'll, I'll give my, my old uh, stomping grounds a, a shout out on this. NYU has had the Community College Transfer Opportunity Program at the Steinhardt School for Culture, Education, and Human Development for coming up on 30 years. Um, they decided a long time ago that their education programs and speech pathology and all those kind of nutrition programs where they were sending people out into the community were not actually representative of that community, and they wanted to draw more directly from their surrounding community. So they started really making sure that they made room for transfer students from community colleges. And they had, at the time, 13 partnership community colleges when I was there. Um, so schools that have kind of recognized and made that kind of initiative, um, I think that's a good thing. But I think it's a start. you know. And they're few and far between in your experience? The more selective the institution, yeah. Like I said, the lesser selective schools, private schools, have a lot of stuff for transfer students where they where they where it dis, the disconnect is not usually <laughs> enrollment managers and admissions people love transfers. Academics do not, and that's usually where the disconnect breaks down for a transfer student. They get handshakes and warm welcomes and recruitment events and people show up at their transfer fairs and our smiles and here's the brochure and come visit our school we love transfer students everything else and they walk in the door and you know when do they get the credit evaluation 
a lot of places don't do it at admission. A lot of places make you commit first. Mm. A lot of places don't give it to you until sometime in your first semester. How can I possibly know if this is the right place for me if I don't know how you're going to use my credits? Because mm -hmm. a lot of students are, are, again, basing it on blind faith. They, they, they are presuming that there is a system and structure in place and that this is a good faith process, that you will use as many of my credits as you possibly can. Those schools that don't provide that evaluation at or before admission or enrollment, uh, is there a reason why they do it that way? It's not usually good news. Right. So they just they, uh, they delay the well, inevitable. they simply haven't thought about it. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of places, it's just that nobody has looked at them and said, hey, this is malpractice at best. This is just not a good thing. You're, you're forcing these students to make a commitment without real information. Um, because, again, it's not that they're making an informed decision that I'm going to go there regardless. It's that they're making a decision that they're assuming that it's all going to work. Nobody has ever told them otherwise. Um, so if they don't have hard information in front of them about how their credits are going to be applied towards a specific degree, they're at a real disadvantage in that process. And that's where you tend to get a lot of very upset transfers in that process. Um, what do you know about the number of students that transfer from a community college to a four-year institution and then need to transfer again? It's the just, it National Student Clearinghouse looks at a lot of, you know, kind of, there's a lot of swirling students. Cliff Edelman coined that term a long time ago, but, you know, a lot of students that are taking credits simultaneously at multiple yeah. institutions or have bounced back and forth. We have a lot of transfers here from four-year colleges because they started at a four-year school and that was going to be my next question start. right um, so we get a fair number of those students every semester um, that are coming here looking to kind of reset and then they go back in some cases they'll go back in a lot of cases they'll move on and they'll realize they'll maybe to, this is this is the appropriate level of, of of education for me and i'm okay here or? no it's that they want to go back to they're going to go to a different four-year school i guess that's what i mean back to four years yeah they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll okay. come here and they'll earn the associate degree and kind of regroup um, and then move on to the next institution. Sometimes they come here because family things happened and they needed to come home and this was, you know, the, the best option for them. Sometimes they come back because they struggled academically at the last place and want to kind of get grounded, but maybe at a lower cost and penalty on that. Um, sometimes they've been given no option. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, we, we're asking you to leave. Mm -hmm. um, but they can come here and, and reset and move right. forward on that. Uh, but we have we have transfers from all over the place. We get transfers from other two-year schools, right. from other four-year schools. There's a lot of exchange. CUNY is an interesting example of that just because geography plays such a big role in that. We've got 24 undergraduate campuses that are on top of each other. Mm -hmm. um, so if a student moves, they will frequently transfer just because it's convenient. Mm -hmm. You know, if I live in Long Island City, but then my dad loses his job, we're going to move to the Bronx. Um we have a lot of students from the Bronx, but depending on where in the Bronx, it can take two hours to get here. Right. It can take two hours to get here from Brooklyn, and <laughs> Brooklyn's right there. Mm -hmm. So it depends on, on kind of where you're at and what you move to. So sometimes students will just transfer based on that, and there's mm -hmm. a there's an ease of that in CUNY in particular that causes a lot of circular movement on that. So you're out there proselytizing with provocative conference session titles, <laughs> uh, <laughs> spreading the, the good word, the hard truth about the way that community colleges and transfer students are perceived. Have you gotten some uh, constructive or hopeful feeling kind of feedback as a result of the message that you've been spreading or, and or uh, what remains to be done, if anything, to kind of help uh, change the perception that's out there about, uh, about these students? Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. I have gotten, um, it, you know, it got some attention and there was, there was some, some, give and take other people ask me questions and I've done the done that presentation a couple other places now and have another one coming up soon and have you, um, you've had people clutch their pearls and leap out of their seat and say I, <laughs> I, I object to your characterization of institutions like mine well I mean the, the the thing I try very hard to stay away from is you know your institution is yeah, racist yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> the thing that you just I try make to point general out, statements while staring certain people right in the eye <laughs> I, i've been yeah. known to make eye contact during the presentation <laughs> yes um no, the i think the, the the hard thing for a lot of people is that the question i ask people to go back to their campus with if they're you know if, the, if they're they're hearing this stuff from a four-year institution is take a look at your policies a lot of places really think that they're transfer friendly and they really work hard to be transfer friendly, but it's really one part of the college that's doing that. It's the enrollment end of things. Um, 
that needs to carry over into other stuff. Uh, that needs to carry over into hard policies. That needs to carry over into is a transfer eligible for your honors program. That needs to transfer, you know, that needs to carry over into is your financial aid equitably distributed? Do they have the same opportunities? Or are they going to get a much bigger loan option than your freshmen are going to get in the same boat? Um, you know, like, look hard at the policies that don't say anything about transfer. Look at the policies that are about transfer, too, because a lot of those are going to be fundamentally broken. Um, but look hard at the other ones and say, how does this directly impact transfer students? Because um, I might not have thought about it before. and Because that's, that's where the thread gets lost in a lot of places. And like I said, it's not malicious, but it stems from a long tradition of their other. You know, the thing that has always stood out to me is the cooling out theory that, you know, Burton Clark talked about where, you know, there's a lot of students that are unqualified but have high aspirations. So a community college allows them to cool those aspirations up. I got some, I got to go to college. And I have a real problem with that. Like, we are not a cooling out place. In fact, if anything, our so goal this is, is to like accelerate the, the, that the reality checkpoint. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm talking to schools and, and talking to people, I just like look, look deeper than do you have a transfer brochure? Do you have a transfer Tuesdays? Um, you know, look at how you're actually. Maybe have them on other days of the week that other don't days start of the week with a T. Just do you do it at night? Mm-hmm. Do you do it on weekends? You know, Tuesdays are good for you. Tuesdays may not be good for the student who's working and going to school at a community college nearby. Mm-hmm. They got a real, you know, scheduling issue there. Um, so, you know, look at that kind of stuff, but also start, step back every now and again and look big picture. Like if we don't take transfer students, if we're not focused specifically on community college transfer students, what does that actually say about our, our access? You know, we say, you know, my favorite arguments every year are, um, you know, there's just not enough Pell eligible students out there. No, there are like 8 million Pell-eligible students out there in community colleges running around. Like, you, you just need to look someplace other than the same 10 high schools you're looking at in the, middle, in the, in the inner city every year for the top-performing student. Mm-hmm. Look around them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of students out there, but you just, you're going to need to change some of your stuff to get them. So. Well, I haven't thought about a lot of this stuff, and I'm glad to have had the opportunity. Thanks for the education. Happy to, happy to share. This is great. Anything else you want to add? No, I'm good. <laughs> Any, anything I can do. Don't be racist. Don't be racist, <laughs> even unintentionally. Thanks, Bart. No problem. Thanks, Tanner. Here's the part of the podcast where I thank my guests for their patience as I got this out between the time that I interviewed them and the actual release of the podcast. But frankly, in uh, Bart's case, I was just, and in this interview's case, I was just waiting for uh, Dennis Rodman to achieve relevancy once again. And with his uh, critical role in the uh, North Korean situation lately, I was I was finally able to release this talk. Also, I was obviously 100% certain that Croatia was going to get as far as they did in the World Cup. So I've been holding out for just this moment in honor of Bart's Croatian heritage. Sorry about the final result, Bart, but uh, hey, next year, am I right? So when we talk about community colleges, I think we're shining a light on the degree to which our system of higher education is a caste system. And yes, racist. We just don't provide the same degree of access to the other kinds of systems of higher ed as evidenced by the fact that students of color are overrepresented at community colleges. Uh, as are people who are uh, at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale. There are lots of reasons for this, as you heard, including the concept of undermatching, which is to say that there are students who could be competitive for a four-year college and or a selective four-year college that might be you know, a better fit for them, but they select themselves out of competition for those places and end up at places that uh, maybe are, are just not uh, a good match for them uh, academically or otherwise. Lots of factors influence that, such as the aforementioned soft bigotry of low expectations, the fact that college recruiters spend most of their time visiting students that go to school in wealthier districts, uh, the sticker shock caused by glancing at the cost of attendance without proper guidance to help these students and their families understand how financial aid works, and yes, the reliance on standardized tests which cost money and can be improved for you if you spend the money on that improvement provided that you have 
that money. Uh, the New York Times ran a piece in their Upshot blog, which I recommend folks check out if you haven't, called Some Colleges Have More Students from the Top 1% Than the Bottom 60%. And among other things, the researchers involved were surprised to discover that there were 38 such colleges in this country. And yes, you've heard of all of them. And this isn't accidental or coincidental that this is the case for these schools. It's a result of decisions that these colleges make about who they choose to enroll, and they could absolutely change it if they wanted to. Another thing I find interesting is that community college enrollment is dropping and has been for a number of years now. And in New York City, there's an expectation that community college enrollment will drop a further 15% by 2029. Now, that last bit will be the result of demographics and uh, a statistic courtesy of episode 23 guest, Dr. Nathan Graw. But it hasn't been the case leading up to it. The demographics aren't the reason that enrollment has been dropping year over year. Um, the number of people who could benefit from two-year degree hasn't necessarily gone down. And the net price of attending community college has actually declined over time, and many systems are, in fact, free. So I asked Bart about this, and he told me that community college enrollment is correlated to the strength of the economy. So it tracks that it's been going down as the economy improves. But he also posited that more four-year colleges have been successful in enrolling students that might otherwise have chosen a 2 plus 2 route into perhaps a stronger, more selective institution as a transfer student and that perhaps our biases towards these places aren't helping matters either. That instead of looking at a 2 plus 2 route as the most appropriate path to success for many students, lots of us look down on this option as some kind of failure. So I hope that those of us who are in a position to guide students take a look at these biases that we may harbor and check them along with the language that might continue to marginalize these places as the wonderful options that they are for many of our students. Well, that'll do it. Thanks again to Bart, and thanks to you for listening. As always, folks, share the episode with your amigos, rate it on iTunes, subscribe to the show, and stay cool out there this hot, hot summer, everybody. Spread love.